Let us pray. O God, you are both mighty and merciful. Come into our hearts and minds in powerful ways and enable us to hear the word you most need for us to hear. Amen. The Old Testament lesson today is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And the New Testament lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, if you are one who watches the news or reads the news or pays attention to the news in any form, you might have noticed that a group of mothers from Boston have skyrocketed to internet and journalistic fame the past couple of weeks. Earlier in the month, 20 mothers ducked out of their homes and their workplaces once darkness had fallen. They gathered on the 50-yard line of a local high school football field. They formed a socially distanced circle, and for 20 solid minutes, they screamed their heads off. They screamed, and they screamed, and they screamed. They screamed because they were overwhelmed by despair and anger and anxiety and exhaustion from a never-ending pandemic. They screamed freestyle and they screamed in unison. They screamed to see who could scream the loudest and then they screamed to see who could scream the longest. We could have kept on screaming, one of them said, because these past two years have been more than we can handle. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. I'm curious who here wants to say that to 20 screaming mothers. Or maybe to a former colleague of mine, Marie. 
Marie and I were always friendly with one another, but I didn't really know her until the night she called me to come to her house because she had just found her 12-year-old daughter who died by her own hand after being cyberbullied. In sitting with the family that night and in the days to come, I got to know them much better, which meant I learned that Marie's oldest daughter had died in a car accident at the age of 22. Now that is more than any mother or any family or any human should ever have to bear, which is why my heart broke into pieces of complete and utter disbelief when I heard four days ago that her husband died shortly after being diagnosed with cancer. Now I suppose I should say this is someone real, someone I know from another time in my life, but I could have used some of your stories. You are not strangers to pain and tragedy of your own. But it is my habit to keep my current congregation's pastoral needs out of the pulpit unless permission is granted. But understand that I do know that many of you have had similar experiences. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. I've mentioned this theologically problematic statement in connection with actual people whose stories are painful because that's when it tends to come to the surface. It's something we say when we can't handle the pain we're witnessing in someone else. When we can't come up with anything helpful to say, but we feel like we should say something. So instead of recognizing that no words can fix deep pain, we reach for whatever we can find and usually end up blurting out something completely wrong and sometimes damaging. You see, this declaration often makes people feel as though however they are handling things, well, they could be doing it better or different or with less distress. But even worse than that, this declaration impugns God's very character. To say that God doesn't give us more than we can handle is to say that whatever we are struggling with God gave it to us, that God caused it, that God wished it upon us. And that sort of thinking is an affront to the God of grace and glory, the God of justice and righteousness, the God of love and mercy, the God who not only created the earth, but then came to this earth to walk on it, to walk alongside of us in the person of Jesus Christ. And for the record, Jesus never says anything close to God doesn't give us more than we can handle. He actually says, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus, who by the very nature of being fully divine and fully human, knows that life is sometimes more than we can bear. That we sometimes need help 
that we absolutely need the capacity to set our burdens down and lean against someone who is stronger than we are. So if you want to hang on to the structure of the original statement, I suppose the way to say it might be, there is nothing in our lives that God can't help us handle. In the Gospel of John, there's several chapters in the middle, chapters 14 through 17, that are often called the farewell discourse. It's Jesus sitting his disciples down and trying to say to them everything he wants them to hear that he hasn't yet said because he knows that his time is running short. So one thing runs right into another as he covers everything he deems to be the most essential. And the very last thing he says in this section before he prays for them, he says, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have great distress. But take heart, hold fast, be courageous, for I have overcome the world. Everything that causes distress, he says, I am overcoming all of it. I will never leave you to face these things on your own. Now I have front-loaded the sermon a bit, telling you what Jesus does and doesn't say from the get-go, because if by chance you might nod off in the middle of a sermon or your mind might wander, well, hopefully it hasn't happened yet. I have sat in plenty of pews myself. I know that it happens. But setting the record straight about what Jesus has to say, it is the most important thing. But those of you who are particularly well-versed in scripture, or those of you who might have ever Googled, God doesn't give us more than we can handle, well, you might be wondering what to make of Paul's words to the Corinthian church when he writes, No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and will not let you be tested beyond your ability to endure. So sometimes Paul really frustrates me. There are sections of his letters I sometimes dream of cutting out of the Bible, sort of like Thomas Jefferson did. But while this portion sounds like it's contradicting everything I've just said, well, this time it's not Paul's fault. The problem is with English translations. The word parasmus, in the original Greek, it means both test and temptation. And all of the leading Greek concordances, and they don't agree on too much for the record, but all of them agree and point out that English translators must consider the context in determining whether to use test or temptation. In Paul's discussion with the church, both before and after this one verse is entirely about temptation. It's about the sins that the people in Corinth are more likely to give into, 
And it's about the sins that Paul really doesn't want them to give into. Our NRSV uses test. But many other English translations, many as equally scholarly, they render that verse this way. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. In other words, carefully studying this verse, what Paul says is not that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. He says, don't give in to temptation. God will help you stand strong. Those are two really different things. Because temptation, no matter how hard it may be, temptation almost always means we are making a choice. And no one ever chooses the type of distress and suffering of 20 moms in Boston at their wit's end or of my friend Marie. No one chooses the sort of distress and suffering that many of you have known. But in case a translation is not enough to convince you, just keep reading what Paul has to say. You see, later in conversation with the very same church, he writes, We do not want you to be unaware, for we were so utterly unbearably crushed that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, and we could not rely on ourselves, only on God who raises what is dead." The God who rescued us from deadly peril will continue to rescue us. On God, we have set our hope that we will be rescued again. And you join in this effort by offering your prayers. Now, there are plenty of times that Paul says one thing over here and something dramatically different over here. It's not that unusual, but when it happens, he's talking to two different churches that are in the midst of different circumstances. It is fairly rare for him to contradict himself in the same conversation with the same church. And it seems highly unlikely that someone who has experienced affliction that left them feeling so utterly unbearably crushed that we despised of life itself would also claim that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. We could not rely on ourselves, he writes. We could only rely on God who raises what is dead. The God who knows what it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The God who says in this life you will face terrible and hard things, but I promise you, I will overcome it all. I will defeat even death itself, and no matter what, you will, be not, you will not be left alone to face anything this life offers. And not only that, but again, to quote what Jesus really did say, come to me, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. Come rest in this green pasture. Come catch your breath alongside this calm, still water. Sit down at this gorgeous feast where oil is upon your head and wine flows without end. Sometimes, Jesus says, sometimes life really will be too much. But when that happens, he says, lean on me. Lean on me because I will get you through. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.